Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I have Rochelle from Lancashire who's actually living in London. She will be sober 11 months this coming Saturday, so really close to the one year mark. Um, And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. I am really just excited to be here share more of my story and hope to really help others get sober. Uh, it's brilliant. And yeah, ju- judging by the messages that come in about the podcast, they are really, really helping people and giving people inspiration and hope, I think. And that is such a nice thing to be a part of. Um, so let's understand a little bit about you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's been a wild ride uh, in general life. <laughs> um, I The past two years have been a real turning point in my life of transformation, doing the inner work and just really wanting to change my life. I was in a, a real rut with my habits. Um, in my 20s, I kind of did what most 20-year-olds probably do, which is go out, binge drinking, and, um, you know, to- end up in toxic relationships, self-sabotage, and then you kind of get caught up in drugs as well when everyone around you is doing it. And it just feels like it's the norm. Mm. And you don't know how to break away from the norm when it's, you know, your friends and your your social life. And the thing that brings you happy when, when for me, everything outside of that, you know, my family, it was, it was, it was not going well. Um, it was very chaotic and I think I was in a lot of internal pain from things that had happened in my childhood that hadn't been processed. I also wasn't happy in my job. So like the weekend drinking was like my only source of fulfillment. Um, and in the past I've kind of gone on to do everything that I thought would make me happy. So, you know, I climbed the career ladder um, I went traveling around the world on my own. I lived in Paris. I lived in New York. I, I like did everything to try and find happiness. And, you know, the only thing that kept giving me this quick fix was booze and drugs. And then fast forward to 2020. And I remember being in Dubai um, it was New Year's and I just was just in a real state. I remember getting absolutely wasted on uh, on on New Year's and actually getting in a really big fight with my brother's girlfriend. And it was just an absolute disaster. <laughs> and um, I was so ashamed of myself. Um, but I was so hurt that I, I kind of just didn't know how to deal with anything. So that was when I realized I woke up the next day and, you know, I realized the damage that I'd caused that I needed to 
figure out a way to to stop drinking or at that stage cut back from drinking Mm. um so that's where it began I don't know if I've gone off on a tangent there but does that give you a little bit about me um I guess a little bit more to share is you know I, I I've gone on this journey of sobriety I stopped drinking I um I stopped drinking I started drinking again I tried mindfully drinking all in the process of also um, changing career paths from corporate to being a health and life coach. So um, going along that journey of now being a health and life coach and then finally surrendering that I actually, in order to be the best, best coach, the best role model, I need to actually fully commit to stop drinking. And that happened 11 months ago. Wow. <laughs> what a powerful story. Um, so take me back to the beginning in terms of alcohol. When did you start drinking and what, what were those sort of early drinking years like? Talk us through that. Yeah, I, th- I think I didn't start drinking super early. I mean, yeah, maybe I had a couple of glasses when I was 16, but it really started when I was 18 and it was just the culture, you know, to drink, to go out and get as pissed as possible. You're doing shots. Um, I mean, even in my family, it's like really encouraged to like down drinks Mm. and like we were a party family and, um, and then you go to university and it's like, you know, I was in the university area where it's like a pound for triple vodka and Red Bull. (laughs) which is is crazy um so you know at that point I didn't really realize it was a problem apart from doing things that I probably wouldn't do sober which is you know be with the wrong guys um but you don't realize it's a problem again because everyone else is is acting and being that way yeah yeah that's right you're surrounded by that behavior so that behavior just feels okay yeah and that behavior being surrounded by that it justifies it for a long time doesn't it definitely yeah at the point when you realized it was problematic you you talked about um you had this sort of you you wanted to try and control the drinking first almost like mindful drinking Mm. and I think I think that's something that a lot of us that eventually get sober we really, really hope for, we really hope that we can kind of take that magic pill almost and we can wake up in the land of moderation, happy moderation. Oh God, that, I, that was the problem, I think for me, that I kept holding on to, but one day I'll be able to drink, but one day I'll be able to moderate. And I think you know I know of people that have been able to achieve that but I think you have to surrender to the idea that you might not ever drink again and it was that it was actually that that was holding me back hoping it was the hope that I that I was clinging on to this this drink and actually the the moment that I decided do you know what I'm going to surrender. I might never drink again, but I want this other thing so much more, which was happiness, which was no anxiety, which was no panic attacks, which was a blo- you know, 
working on my purpose and, and, and a blossoming career and just no up and downs, like that desire became far more than this, the, the, the want to pick up and drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think is driving that as well? I mean, I have my own um, opinions on this. What do you think is driving that culture of try hanging on almost uh like clutching on to the thought of happy moderation even though for most of us it doesn't exist yeah it's acceptance because we all want to be part of something we all want to be loved and the thought that actually if we're going to do something that majority don't do which is not drink mm. i might not be loved anymore i might not be accepted my friends might not like me anymore is huge yeah it's almost that feeling a part of something and just having that fear um and sure. totally warranted fear as well of stepping outside of that social acceptable circle if you like of behavior um I I also think as well that um for whatever reason we are we are raised in an environment that basically says we have alcoholics over here and normal drinkers over here and this is where this gray zone, you know, gray area drinking term really becomes something is because it describes that massive, massive section in the middle that is basically not managing their drinking very well, regardless of how often or the volume that we drink, that feeling of anxiety or making mistakes and waking up with that shame and all of those things that come with over drinking um you know it sits yeah it it basically gives us a voice that we haven't had before yeah I think you know culturally it's so nice to be able to see that shifting a little bit yeah people to you know for people to be able to see that well look I stopped drinking um because I I didn't want to drink anymore you know just it just wasn't good for me not because I, I was this label or that label. I just, yeah, I just wanted to stop drinking. And I think people find that quite difficult, particularly drinkers, I think, find that quite difficult. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, you've made a really interesting point because I actually joined AA for um, 90 days and I personally found it very scary to be in that space. Um, I personally found it really depressing and I was, I couldn't, for me, I couldn't say that I was an alcoholic and it stopped me from continuing on the path. And I think that might stop a lot of, you know, young people, like you say that they're like, I know I'm a binge drinker and I know that alcohol makes me into the person I'm not, but I don't see myself as this word that people define as an alcoholic. So where Mm. am I supposed to go to, to, to get help to stop me from drinking? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what was it that made you choose um, AA first? Obviously, you you wanted to get sober. I think it was desperation because um, I was having really bad panic attacks off the back of a night's out. So I, I just I was like, I don't know where to go. And 
somebody said to me, go to AA. Yeah. So at that point I was desperate. But then as I went along the journey and you start, you know, you start getting confident. Oh yeah. Do you know what? I think I'll be fine now if I go back and drink. Um, and I knew I didn't want to stay in that, that the container that they held just didn't feel right for me. And then I didn't know of any, like you said, I don't know of anywhere else at that point where I could turn to, to help me. Yeah. Um, until later down the line where when I went to go sober again I found a sobriety coach um and that was so much better yeah. for me yes yeah um and I might I just like to say here as well obviously this is you know no judgment on this podcast at all for AA and we were talking before we recorded didn't we that the nice the the, the lovely thing about being sober today is that you can design your own sobriety and you really can do it in a way that connects with you and how you want to learn and develop and AA has helped millions of people but it also isn't everybody's choice It, it, it wasn't my choice and obviously it wasn't eventually the right fit for you and I think that we need to remain open-minded about the different routes through our drinking and into sobriety and that there is a place for all of those um, different types of avenues, you know, because what works for one doesn't work for another. And that's, that's also okay. Nothing's wrong or right, is it? Yeah. And I think I love that. There's no, there's no one size fits all program for anybody you can as you said design your own (laughs) route to sobriety (laughs) yeah I love that just designing your own way through um so so talk to me a little bit about um when you woke up was it new year's day that you said yes after you had the big fire yeah which yeah yeah, must have been horrific for you to be honest but yeah when you woke up that day was that the day that you got sober sort of with the the sobriety that you're in now or was that just the sort of start of exploring yeah so talk talk to me about that landscape from that new year's day how did you what did you do from that point and yeah yeah that was a turning point in terms of I I knew I had to help myself because I was going down I think I was starting to feel very depressed um I was you know lashing out fighting with anybody but it it, it was I knew I needed to stop drinking so I think maybe I stopped for a month or so during that period and then I probably picked up drinking again and then I am then then March happened 2020. I got placed on furlough. That was um that really got to me. And that's when drinking really spiraled then. And I was just on my own, up at night, uh, all day, through through the night, through the morning, drinking, doing other stuff, and having severe panic attacks. And um, you know, to the point where I'm like, you have to call the ambulance, I'm gonna die to my boyfriend. Um, which was a really scary period in my life. And that's when I I was kind of battling with trying to stop drinking. And I started going to the AA, but I still wasn't getting sober at this point. And I think it was at the end of, it was after my birthday, May 14th, that I then started the AA program for three months. 
and did it successfully, I immediately got a sponsor. If you join AAA, strongly advise, go and get a sponsor straight away because they really hold you accountable. You have to check in with them every single day. And and then you know what? It, the three months finished and I was like, I'm really alone. I want to see my friends. And then it, the drinking started again. Um, and that's when I looked for a different route and came across a sobriety coach. Um, and I did that two separate times. And then it was actually October of last year that I surrendered and was like, no, do you know what? I'm done. A hundred percent done with drinking now. And here we are 11 months later. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I'm I'm curious only because I haven't done either routes myself. Um, but what would you say was the main difference between the AA route and the sobriety coach route? What did you gain from the latter that you didn't get in the former? If that makes sense. Yeah. So AA is great in a way that it makes a community, and you know you're you're sticking together as a community, and you're almost reminding yourself of all the times of what could happen if you did drink. Whereas I felt like a sobriety coach um, actually helped me address the root cause of the problem, which I believe to be trauma, and that to me is yeah she helped me address the, the the root of the problem why was I drinking in the first place because I was actually going through um you know a whole world of pain that had happened in my childhood I'd never seen a therapist I'd never healed that and that's why I was angry that's why I was self-sabotaging yeah um yeah, yeah. so now I've lost that desire to self-sabotage to drink because I've gone through the trauma healing yeah because you've faced it and mm. tried to yeah work work through it and what do you think um what do you think has really unlocked that piece of your puzzle so obviously revisiting a traumatic childhood I put my hand out I'm with you there I had also <laughs> you know my own moments of trauma in my childhood um but what do you think was the thing that sort of really unlocked that? Good question. I think there's a few things. It's actually readdressing, looking back at the issue, and I use the term healing. So energetically and emotionally releasing that from my body. Um, so I use something called EFT, which is the emotional mm -hmm. freedom technique. Yes, yeah, the tapping, isn't it? The tapping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that literally when I did it felt like I was a massive weight was being lifted off my shoulders. So actually releasing that trauma from the body, mm. um, forgiveness around what had happened, uh, working on boundaries and not letting anybody disrupt my peace. Mm. Yeah. And reparenting my inner child oh yeah that's nice yeah, yeah I've been I think I've been through a, a similar thing as well you see which is why I'm so, yeah. I'm so interested in it um and the EFT um emo sorry say again what was it emotional freedom technique, technique yes. yeah just for those people that are listening to that and thinking what on earth um, <laughs> Google that. That is actually a form of tapping different parts of your body, um, just like Rochelle said, to re release trauma. Because it's got something to do with the fact that trauma sits as like a vibration inside of us, and quite yes. often we can't, we don't 
we don't naturally always get that out and yes. so by tapping it I know more than I think about this yeah stuff. yeah it's great <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway if, if that's something that um is sparking an in, in interest in you as a listener then then go and uh google that okay so um so you worked for the sobriety coach and um this really helped to unlock a lot of the reasons behind why you were drinking pain being a big one um what did you do then so getting was was the was the sobriety coach part of this sobriety or was there yeah yes it was yeah so um what other things did you do in that let's say first hundred days Mm. um so again it was a lot of energy work to be honest with you I really focused on energy work and spirituality um which I know is a part of AA as well is believing in a greater power greater than you and just reconnecting to spirituality and faith and trusting and believing that the world's not like there to I guess changing from victim mentality to actually rewriting my story to be more empowering and 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 trusting yeah in in what's happening and I need to take personal if I want to be happy I have to take personal responsibility for that and stop blaming Mm. anyone and everything else around me and that is a big one when you've been through stuff but it's the truth so um talk to me about how you felt in the first hundred days. So obviously we've 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 talked through some techniques and the route that you took in terms of almost retraining how to live your life um, yeah. and how to see the world. How did you feel in that first hundred days? So I've done the first 90 days twice and gone back to drinking. So this first 100 days of the 11 months was, I mean, I just, I just, I've never felt happier. Like it's hard for me to look back because I just knew this was what I wanted this time around, that I really, really wanted it and nothing was going to get in my way. No one was going to stop me. There is a period of feeling very alone um and I think that's okay to be on your own for a while until you master this and then you start integrating yourselves back into society and socializing um but you know be your own best friend and that's who I that's exactly what I was being I was being my own best friend in those first hundred days yeah (laughs) I love that you mentioned earlier that you um that you have a party family yeah and and, you know like like most of us you probably had a big group of um party friends how have they adapted to the new to the new you oh do you know what it's been incredible because almost like my friends have started mirroring me and we actually recently had a girls holiday where it was all about going to like we went horse riding we went on hikes and usually our holidays in the past have all been about partying um so I think in a way 
<laughs> I hope they don't mind me saying I have inspired them. Um, and I've had fellow friends now come to me to be coached by me. And I guess, you know, you have, someone has to be the change maker or the, the one that takes the first step forward. And, you know, your friends will inevitably actually find it inspiring and be motivated by you if they're ready. And sometimes they're not always ready and that's okay. But if you, you know, you are true friends, they will always be there. And the ones that weren't, you know, you just, just kind of let them go and maybe maybe they'll come back when they're ready yeah you kind of back off a bit don't you yeah yeah um, and what about family then how's how's the family uh dynamic <laughs> I think they're relieved um uh, really <laughs> I used to get called the walking hand grenade by my family because as soon as I had a drink it's like you just don't know you just didn't know when I was going to pop off and like start arguing or start crying or so I think everybody's so grateful that I don't drink anymore <laughs> <laughs> do you know that is amazing you can't you can't see obviously people that are listening to that but you know uh you can't see what I see right now but you just come across so calm and chilled and yeah it's a real calmness about you it's really interesting that you were a total nightmare when you were drinking it's, yeah yeah so I'm people are just amazed now when they meet me because I am like they don't, don't they can't see the person that I am today how I was but I was a nightmare honestly yeah (laughs) has there been anybody that has struggled with your transition that kind of misses the old hectic maybe nightmare version of you I think a few times friends have said oh we just like one more night out with (laughs) with the old Rochelle I'm like and that actually happened in the first times that I stopped drinking you know my friends or acquaintances would say oh we just want come on just have one drink I'm sure you're fine and that's when I would I'd, I'd surrender I'd go and then have a drink and it's like and then it's four o'clock five o'clock in the morning and I'm still going yeah and you're all like come on Rochelle's ready for bed now and I'm like well this this is what you said you wanted yeah and now I can't stop and I've got severe anxiety mm. so I've learned my lesson from that yeah oh I, to be honest that made me shudder a bit because I was also that person that would still be at, up at four or five in the morning going, no, we, we are carrying on. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and there is severe anxiety in that, in that moment. And there is even more <laughs> anxiety an hour later or so. Oh, and yeah. um, I just, God, I just feel so deeply grateful that I don't have to go through that <laughs> again in my life. I've got goosebumps and I I say that to my partner. I just couldn't imagine ever wanting to put myself through that again. I can't even believe it was so normal to me to give myself, to put myself to that state. Yes. Okay. So what, so I appreciate actually this, this may, may be tricky to answer because you'd had to, bouts of mini sobriety. So by the third, you were probably feeling quite desperate just to get going with it. But um, overall, what has been the hardest bit for you in getting sober and yeah. staying sober? Um, can I say two things? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course you can. So I think um, one of the main ones I was scared I was going to lose my boyfriend um, because we met in a nightclub and, you know, we 
loved to party together. Um, even though he wanted me to stop drinking, the fact that he was like drinking and that we formed our relationship based on drinking and partying and were both our identities is partying was really, really scary at the thought of losing the love of my life. And then the second one kind of flows into that is the loss of my identity. Like you say, you've got no off button. That's what I was kind of known as and being the girl that was the first on the tables and, um, just being that, Oh my God, you want to go out with Michelle? She's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that I'd say the identity change. And now I'm, I'm calm, Michelle, which has taken me a while to like, almost be like, okay, yeah, I'm happy with being calm (laughs) and not crazy. Yes. Um, You have to get to know yourself again, don't you? Or, you know, I say say again, you have to get to know yourself maybe for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That that is quite a, a strange experience, isn't it? Yeah. But it's the real you. I feel like we 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 almost lose ourselves in how we're raised and what people who people tell us who we should be whether it be our parents our friends or acquaintances and we actually don't know who we are and for the first time in my life I know who I am now oh I love that yeah I love that because I feel that as well and yeah it's hard to express just how much joy that brings just really knowing who you are knowing that you can also you've got the confidence to say no I don't like that or yeah no I I like that but you know you just you can just be real you can just Mm -hmm. be real and that 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 is something that I thought I was being like when I was drinking but I realized now that I wasn't you know I realize now that not that I I wouldn't say I was being fake because a lot a lot of parts of my personality that existed back then but I was just yeah I was constantly just trying to people please and fit in and be liked and just just now I don't care about yeah. any of those things like yeah <laughs> you know and that might even sound arrogant I don't mean it to it's not arrogance it's just I'm self-assured I just know I know where I fit in the world yeah I know I I, I I approach everything with intention so I don't have anything to fear you know and so I think some of the things that like I'm saying now would probably have triggered me you know 11 months ago um because it's so hard to imagine yourself in that place and yeah. like what what we're saying it, it's so hard when you're not when you're still in that cycle of, of drinking to just be like, but change can happen so rapidly and so quickly. Like I am 11 months sober and like my world has changed for yeah. the best. Yeah. And, and leading beautifully on from that, what, talk to me about that change, particularly the biggest gain in, mm. in sobriety. Um, the biggest gain. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. I'd say for me, obviously knowing who I am, but then my business, which is my life purpose, I feel like I am making an impact now in people's lives. I'm meant to help people that have gone through dysfunctional families. And, um, this is what I, I've, it's almost led me to my soul's calling, which is to help people that have gone through dysfunctional families and find their own life, find their own purpose. And um, my, yeah, it's just had a massive effect on my business and my purpose. <laughs> 
So were you, um, the change in your career, did that happen after you got sober or, you know, through the process of being sober curious and sober? How, how did that work? How did that change? Yeah, so I worked in real estate and finance beforehand. And then January 2020, knew I wanted to go through change. Then I got furloughed and it was like the universe saying, if you've got this, figure something out. So going through my own, going through this process, I enrolled to be a health and life coach. So started focused on health and life coaching, but through getting sober and doing the trauma work yeah. and really knowing that what has happened to you is what leads you to make all these bad habits or collect these bad habits and self-sabotage. I have discovered that that's kind of my niche or my calling of what I'm meant to do. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing, isn't it? That's, yeah, just, yes, just so amazing how it, the twists and turns that get you to make these big choices in your life. You know, changing a career is a huge choice and it's what you're doing now is so different to business and finance and all yeah. real estate. it's just yeah completely but you're obviously happier mm. and you know that is what what a gift really to be able to to make to have the courage to make those career changes and then to just feel so rewarded by yeah it. that's yeah super super lovely and so what have been the other things that you know when you talk about changing your life and what have been the things that you have got from your sobriety time <laughs> we'll have time back oh yeah I used to spend the weekends in well if I was not out then I was sat in bed with just anxiety just numbing myself with tv again during the week you're not then motivated to go to the gym or oh my I was just so down and depressed or so up and down from drinking it's just given me time back um which is again like why would I want to go back and lose time <laughs> that would yeah. be my fear of not drinking I do so much more now um it's also helped me discover new passions like breath work um, I've just found a new appreci appreciation for for nature, um, for making new friendships. Um, I'm connecting with lots of people on Instagram these days and then meeting them in person, um, wow. which is so nice. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Yeah, so if you met people through your Instagram, you know, through sobriety. yeah. So, I mean, just by sharing parts of my own story, then people reaching out and sharing their story and just, I think that's really important to meet people that are on a similar journey to you when you are not drinking. Um, so yeah, we've connected over Instagram and, you know, met in person, which has been really nice. Yeah. What a, what a, what a time to get sober. <laughs> Really, you know, and you think, I mean, to be honest, even I, my first bout of sobriety was when I was 30. So that's 14, nearly, nearly 15 years ago. And yeah, there wasn't any real social media presence for sobriety back then. There wasn't any kind of going on Instagram and hashtags and well, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know if Instagram was around to be honest back then. <laughs> Obviously there was Facebook, but 
that was it. And there, and there was, just wasn't really anything at all. And so the difference in going sober for me at 30, I did try again for 100 days at 39, but it didn't do any kind of emotional sobriety work. I just quit drinking for 100 days. And, and that was that. But, you know, compared to now, there's just so much, there's so many resources that are easy, more easily accessible. And I just hope that that increases as time goes on, more and more people find people like you and I yeah. and follow some of the wonderful accounts that are just really creating great content to create change for people and that you know thought-provoking stuff that just gives people hope that they can they can be that person too that yeah. can make those changes and and that they can also you know big a big thing for me at the moment is trying to spread that message that we talked about it earlier but you know you don't have to be absolutely at rock bottom to stop drinking you can just stop binge drinking on Friday nights and completely transform your life. Like, so, you know, that's, yeah. And that, and and social media has a huge, has huge power to do that, which is amazing. Um, Great. So coming towards the end uh, of the show, what are your top three tips on getting and or staying sober? Mm. Okay. So, Definitely find a community. There are lots of them out there these days now, thankfully, on Instagram um, of men and women that are getting sober. So link up with somebody's Instagram page, whether it be yours or mine, and find your people. Um, That's really important. You want to be around people that are being sober, Um, even if it's just for Sober October. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And what else? So I'd find a hobby as well to do in the meantime whilst you're not drinking. So maybe book out your weekends of going to the gym or trying something new, whether it be a pottery class, a dance class or anything that takes your fancy. Um, and, you know, maybe make this a bit of a, a bit of a challenge and like you can document it and write about it. And, and that's your story. Um, so make it, a personal challenge and write about it I think that's really like self-fulfilling lovely so um if you're open to it um on to sharing your journey um how can people find you yes I'd love to um you can find me on instagram at mindful underscore underscore eyes that's the best way to reach me mindful eyes mindful underscore underscore eyes yes (laughs) oh Rochelle it's been such a pleasure to connect with you today I think you and I would have (laughs) a lot of chaos (laughs) I think so we we sound really similar actually Uh, yeah I'd have been on that table with you clapping away breaking someone's (laughs) lampshade um it's been a delight to talk to you and keep doing the wonderful work and looking forward to following your journey and yeah seeing seeing where you go thank you so much for having me I've really almost like going through this has been like a therapeutic process as well just sharing and recognizing oh wow yeah how far I have come so thank you for that 
Oh, I love that. Made my hair stand on end. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone else for listening and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.